Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. We could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. This is Kieran with New Cleveland Radio and Avoid the Maze. And today I have on a wonderful gentleman who I've been reading up about. Uh, we met through Podmatch. Uh, and for those of you that don't know what Podmatch is, um, George, it's almost, um, Peter, it's almost like a dating site, sort of speak. It um, really is. Yeah. Um, and hopefully I won't find myself in the need of a dating site uh, because I've made <laughs> a number of mistakes on this site, but it's a great way for us as podcasters, public speakers to share messages that are so important in today's society. And as I was reading over uh, Peter's bio, um, the, it was like the first two sentences that sort of got to me. It says, throughout my childhood, I dealt with a lisp, and a stutter. Consequently, I grew up shy and introverted, avoiding communication with others as much as possible. And we don't have to have those situations. We can still, something else could make us shy and introverted. Um, but I think it's important for us to understand it and to help others who may be going through similar circumstances. So first of all, Peter, welcome to Avoid the Maze. And um, give us a little bit of history. Like, how did you get through that maze of, you know, being this shy guy? Because you don't appear to be shy anymore. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Karen. And sure. no, I'm not really quite as shy anymore. I'm extremely introverted still. Always will be, I guess. But, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, no, the shyness is pretty much going away. Uh, I started out as just a kid in Providence, Rhode Island, and I live just outside of Providence now. But growing up with a lisp and a stutter, you learn to do a couple of things very well. One is keep your mouth shut. At least I did. I didn't want to communicate with people. I was afraid I'd stutter and all kids would make fun of the lisp, but whatever it might be. So I kept my mouth shut. I wouldn't answer questions in school. I uh, spoke only to my closest friends and my family. And the other thing you learn to do well is sports, because if you were good in sports, you didn't get picked up. So I played baseball, football, and hockey. So I was playing sports year round and, uh, and that worked out well. So it's interesting because I hear this from a lot of um, athletes that my son sort of did the same thing. Um, he's, he's on the autism spectrum. 
And even though he's on the high end, you know, people still wanted to point the finger, oh, you're different. But the fact that he played sports and he worked with the sporting teams, that group of kids totally ignored what others saw as a deficit. And I find it interesting that individuals have to sort of find something that sort of like sets them apart in this situation, like you did with sports. So did you move to sports because you wanted to be accepted or because it was something you really wanted to do? Probably something I really wanted to do. I would have done it anyway. I just found the value in it or the benefit in my particular situation. Uh, but I loved playing sports. My father was an athlete, so uh, and he never pushed us into sports. My brother, me and my brother didn't play sports and, and I absolutely loved it. And it also looks as I'm looking at all these wonderful things that are behind you. You also have a love for music because I see these three little guitars behind you. Is that yeah. what those are? <laughs> yeah, they're exact. And you can see a, an Eric Clapton book directly behind the guitars. Those are three exact replicas of Eric Clapton's three of his guitars, three of his famous guitars. And what's nice about those is where his guitar had a nick or loss of paint or whatever, those guitars have that nick and loss of paint. They're exact replicas of the last known photographs of those guitars. Interesting. Interesting. So you have a wide range of interests, obviously, from sports to music. Um, as a kid growing up, um, do you think it was different back then than it is today? Do you think that if you were growing up in today's society that, um, you know, kids wouldn't have made fun, they would have understood and, you know, there'd be more inclusion? I don't know. I, I, I think as adults, we might think so, but kids are kids. Yeah. Kids are kids. Kids are going to point out things that are different. Yeah. And to a large degree, I believe that they don't mean any harm. They're just pointing out things to that are different. And, uh, you know, it's funny as you talk about sports and, and music, I've been playing the guitar since I was nine years old. The things I could speak about, and to this day, I can still speak about without stuttering, are music, sports, and business. But if I get very personal and speak about, you see, my father's fire helmet back there that was at one of his helmets and that one saved his life that's why it's all beat up uh <clears throat> if i talk about things that are extremely personal to me you'll hear my my cadence slow down it gets a little more difficult for me to speak as i struggle to do so but as soon as i go back to sports or business and music it's fairly fluent and I that's one of the that. things i relied on when i was young too when i discovered that it's like wow if that's all I speak about, it'll be pretty cool. And, and to this day, if I find myself stuttering, I will switch the conversation to business music or sports. And, you know, one of the things I've learned and probably in the last, maybe I'll say 20 years, um, is that when we can find our strengths and we use them to develop ourselves, um, we are much better at even those weaknesses because, you know, once you can get great, gain that confidence, um, the other things come a little bit easier. And 
I always wanted to be in communications and broadcasting. And every time I got that opportunity, um, I would like, oh, me? Like, why me? And I would just sweat profusely, even though I wanted to do it. Um, but it wasn't until I went back and got my master's degree, as I was taking the classes online, it was like, I want to do so much more with this knowledge. I want to be able to reach out to others, not necessarily tell them how to live their life, but open up the Pandora box and say, hey, you know, what is it that you really love? What is it that you're really good at? Why aren't we using those strengths? And I'll tell you, I'm not the same person today that I was 10 years ago because of that. And it sounds like that's sort of what you did. You found those strengths and you said, well, somebody may not like when I'm going to talk about sports, but you know what? I'm really good at it. So I'm going to do it. And either they're going to like it or, you know, they'll just turn me off. Right. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes it's odd that I'll go to, it almost seems superficial that someone might be speaking about something else in depth. And I really just stay out of the conversation. I listen. I might nod my head and the like, but for the most part, I'll probably stay out of the conversation. But then if business comes up, I'm like, okay, I'm game. And, and the funny thing about all this, Karen, is that the last thing I ever wanted to do as a child is communicate with people. And I've been a speaker on stage for 35 years now and a, a public speaking coach for about half that time. So it's ironic that here was something I saw, I thought was uh, something that made me stand out in a bad way that I was ashamed of as a kid or embarrassed by more than ashamed. And then here I am making a livelihood speaking. Well, you know, as I've talked about before on this show, when we say avoid the maze, many of us at a young age, we determine in our brains, this is who I want to be, or this is who I'm going to be because this is all I know. And um, most of us don't end up down that path. You know, we no. usually make all these detours along the way. And this past 24 hours I was spending with my son is um, he's getting ready to relocate. And all of a sudden we had these really in-depth, great conversations. And he said to me, you know, mom, I'm really glad you're the person you are today. And I nice. said, well, that's a really nice thing. But what was wrong with me yesterday? Yeah. That was my first reaction. <laughs> and he said, no, you're always growing. You're always learning. And he's, and that's so important to him. And I said, well, you know, I could become stagnant, like a lot of people choose to do. I said, but to me, that's boring. So I'd rather open up the box, see what's in there, and it may not fit properly. And then I'm going to pick and choose. Is that who I want to be or who I don't want to be? And he goes, yeah, that's how I want to live my life. Nice. I'm hoping it's great our, that he saw that and observed that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, in the few minutes we've been talking that that's sort of like how you see your life. It's like, hey. Yeah, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do what I'm comfortable with. And if it helps somebody, that's, that's a step forward, correct? 
Yeah, it really is. And I actually think life has a way of just saying, watch this. You know, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. You have all these plans and then life, good or bad, has a twist to them. Exactly. And when I left the corporate world, I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And one day I, I told my wife of three months that I was going to start a publishing company. And she said, what do you know about publishing? I said, not a darn thing, but that's what I'll do. And it took me three years to get her to leave her corporate position and come work for me. The joke is I worked for her for the next 12 because <laughs> uh, she ran the company on a day-to-day -day business uh, at a much higher level than I ever could have. And uh, we built that business and sold it 15 years after I started it, not knowing the first thing about it, but it, that's kind of my personality of what's the worst that can happen, which is like what I told my kids when they were growing up and starting out on their own is what's the worst that could happen? Do something you want to do. If you like it, great. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't either try again or do something else. And, uh, as opposed to like my father, who was a firefighter for 30 some odd years. And he absolutely loved that, loved it. Uh, I could never have done that. I couldn't do the same thing for that long. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because when I think back to um, my dad, my father-in-law, um, that was a generation that basically said, you know, I'm gonna choose today that I love this career and, they went into it and basically stayed in that career the rest of their life, even if it was, you know, um, day laborer, you know, hey, if I'm good at it, I'm just going to keep doing it and doing it. It will put, you know, food on the table. Um, my older son sort of went through something like that. He decided at a very young age, he wanted to be an attorney. He wanted to go into law and, um, he did, and he's been in law almost 26 years. And now he's scratching his head going, wait a second, I'm still young enough to do something else. Is mm -hmm. this what I want to do? I think if my father or father-in-law had made that decision at, after 26 years in a career, um, family and friends would have just said, are you crazy? You know, right. stay and wait for your gold watch. But you mentioned that you left corporate America. You've done all these things. I don't, and I'm not going to ask how old you are, but you can't be that, you <laughs> be, can't be that old. Okay. I'll be 60. I'll be 64 in a couple of months. Okay. So you started out as a young guy in, mm -hmm. in corporate America. Um, and so many of us back then, that was like the ideal place to be. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely loved it. I worked for a, uh, an extremely well-known company that treated us like gold. I mean, they just, it was a wonderful company to work for. And the only reason I left was my dad died. So I came back to Rhode Island to be with my mom. Well, something always pulls us in the right direction, they say. So when you decided to um, be a public speaker, it didn't happen overnight, I'm assuming. No. <laughs> so what was, what drew you there? What made you say, hey, I think I should do this? Well, it was actually part of my responsibilities in the corporate world was to give presentations, which is the last thing I wanted to do. And I wasn't very good at it because I'd never, never tried. And I avoided communication all those years, including 
all the way through school. So when I got to the corporate world and had to give presentations, uh, I had to get better. So I, I read books and listened to cassette tapes way back then, listened to cassette tapes and it was good. I got better. I got to understand the ideas, but I really needed more than that. So I went for training. And at first it was group training, which was excellent. But then I went for one-on-one -on -one training, which was superb. And by the time I started to get good at it is when I left the corporate world. But uh, when I came back to Rhode Island, I actually met my future wife. And when we started that publishing company, I found that the more I spoke publicly, the faster our company grew. We got exposure. We got exposure in the right places. I did some speaking for uh, corporations that support the publishing industry, which gave me wide recognition. So I understood the power of being out there speaking. And back then, there are other ways, even then, but and certainly today, but two great ways to show that you're an expert is either public speaking or writing. And I write fairly well uh, uh, as well. So I got exposure both those ways. And then I just saw the more you spoke, boy, the more your business grew. Absolutely. I mean, who can talk about your business any better than you yourself? Um, exactly. And I tell a lot of my clients the exact same thing. You know, you can have me tell your story, but it's not going to have the same impact when you tell it. And somebody says, wow, that's what you went through? Those are the changes you made. Well, maybe I can do that. Um, and that's why I love what I'm doing now because it's not necessarily that it's my story. As I listen to yours, it excites me even more. Hey, is there something else I can still do? And if there is, hey, now's the time to look at it and consider it. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've dealt with a lot in life, and I think a lot of people do, is the imposter syndrome. Who am I to be doing this? Like, who was right. I to open a publishing company? I, I didn't even know how to turn on a computer. It was 1990 when personal computers were really just starting to come about. And, uh, but I often rely on words from my great grandmother. And if if I can indulge you in a short Absolutely. anecdote, my my grandparents and my uh, great grandparents were from nowhere, Maine. They were just way out there. And about every, I don't know, five years, we would have a family reunion. We would go up there. It was my mom's family. We'd go up there and there were 250 people. It was a huge reunion because up there, there's nothing to do except make more cousins. So uh, my great grandmother would take her great grandchildren aside at each one of these and bring us aside away from everybody else. Give us one line, literally one line, turn around and walk away. Now, the one line often didn't make any sense, especially to small children and teenagers. And when I was about 12, she did this, took us aside, maybe 15 of us. And she said, if they look that close, slap their face. And she turned around and walked away. Hmm. And I'm a 12-year-old kid saying, what does that mean? And I went up and asked her and she said, you, it, I told you what I wanted to tell you, you figure it out. Is what she would always say. You, this is up to you. When I got older, I sort of thought, 
I wonder if she was talking to the girls. Here's a country girl saying to the younger girls, if the, you know, you're going to be seeing boys now, if boys get too familiar, slap them. When I got older, what I took that to mean was uh, if people criticize you, critiquing you is one thing, but if people criticize you, the heck with them, figuratively slap their face. And that's kind of how I've lived life. When I had no right to open a publishing company, when I look back at what we first did, it was terrible. What we ended with was awesome. So if people criticized me at the beginning, there was nothing I could do about that except get better at what I was doing. But that was within me. That wasn't an external force. That was an internal force saying, I just want to get better at what I'm doing. And I've lived my life that way, that if I, if I don't try new things, I'm the one who misses out, not anybody else, if I want to try those things. So, and I know I'm not going to be great when I first try. No no different than when I first started to play the guitar or first tried to walk, you fall. So as much as I have that imposter syndrome, I, I always had my great-grandmother in the back of my head saying, you know, if they look that close, slap their face. And what a great message for her to give her great-grandchildren and for them to pass it on as you just have. Because I remember when... Um, was my freshman year in college. Um, we had lost my first niece um, to sudden infant death. And as devastated, obviously, as my brother and sister-in-law were, um, it was really the first real contact that I had with losing somebody, especially a child that was only a couple months old. And I went back to campus after her funeral and I decided I was going to start a support group for people who had suffered um, through sudden infant death. And I got it off the ground. I had couples who were like coming out of the woodwork, like, oh, we're so glad you're doing this. But I had my classmates who looked at me and said, who do you think you are? How do you think you can get a room here at the university to hold a meeting? And I just went and asked, and it was for a good cause. And, and I did it for a couple of years. Um, but because of my classmates asking me these questions, I got internally angry, basically like your grandmother was saying, um, I guess I was slapping them in the face by saying, no, I'm going to keep doing it. And I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I needed to heal. I needed to understand exactly what my brother and sister-in-law were going through and had gone through. Um, I was still young. I wasn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have any significant other at the time, but I kept thinking, what if this happens to me in the future? You know, can I prepare myself for it? And sure. we didn't call it the imposter syndrome back then. Okay. But today we hear that word all the time, you know, and it's like, you know what? Try something new. Try what fills your heart with joy. Yeah. And I believe again, that's all internal, you know, that's all in our heads. We, we, I'm writing a book about public speaking. It'll be out in a, a couple of months. And I was talking to my wife about it. My wife's my best friend, but she's also a very intelligent, business person, great instincts. And I was saying, 
I wonder what I'm going to do when I get the first one star review on Amazon. And she said, why are you thinking about that? Why aren't you thinking about the five star reviews and the four star reviews and how great that'll feel? I said, because I, I, I can't get that one star out of my head. And she said, but you know, it's coming. I said, yeah. And as soon as it hits, I won't care. It'll come. It's like getting a shot. Right. The pinch. Yeah, this is going to pinch and it does and it's gone and it's over. So she said, do you care about the second one star review? I said, not at all. It's just that I'm wondering how I'm going to react to that first one. And she said, you know, this is all in your head, right? I said, yep, I do. And that's where most of it comes from, is in our own heads. And I laugh about it because I know it's going to happen. And uh, when, when I had the publishing company, I had a, a, uh, a mentor. And she was amazing. And she was right outside of New York City. And I, someone took a shot at me big time publicly. And I called her and I said, Louise, I can't believe this. This person said this, and this is a well-known person, this, this, and this publicly. It was, in, it was uh, in a magazine. And she said, congratulations. I said, what are you talking about? I'm devastated. She said, Peter, no one takes shots at number two. I love You've it. accomplished something. People are going to start taking shots at you now. She said, wear that as a badge of honor. And from that day, anytime anybody does, I'm like, cool. <laughs> I'm being recognized. Well, and you know, I sort of learned that growing up, my mother used to say, um, when people are criticizing you, they're noticing you. Mm -hmm. And when they're noticing you, oftentimes what they're criticizing is the lack in them. And I yes. thought about that. And, you know, internally, you know, I'll find somebody who maybe I've communicated with and in my head, I'm criticizing them. And I say to myself, why? And when I th think about it, it's like, because I want to be where they are and I'm not there yet. And then I say, okay, now how do I get there? Now, not all of us have that internal instinct to push ourselves forward. And I know that. And there are going to be people listening to this and saying, okay, Peter did it. You did it, Karen. I can't do it. I'm not so sure that they can't. They have to want to. They have to have the passion to move forward. Right. So, yeah. a, a, a friend told me once uh, to this day, he's still someone I meet with every, he's 10, 12 years older than I am. We meet every month and uh, talk about my business and what's going on. And he said, you know, there's the difference between can't and won't can't we can fix we can work on skills get you better at it won't that's your decision well my father never used to like when my brothers or i would say we couldn't do something it would always be do have you tried and if right. you've tried okay did you try again did you try differently um my father my grandfather my brothers have always been proficient writers and as a young kid, I wanted to be just like them. And, you know, they wrote mostly poetry. I would try writing poetry, but every time I would try, you know, everything had to rhyme and it just never fit. And I remember my father one day saying to me, I think you should leave the writing to your brothers and I. And I thought, 
okay, I'm just a girl. I'm going to leave it. After my father passed away in 2004, I sat down and I wrote a five-page story of my life with my father. Nice. And I remember when my mother read it, she said, you know what? Your father left you a gift. You weren't ready to write previously. And she was right. I wasn't. They could always write. Why did I really have to do it? And it was because of that, that I really started growing. I started blogging. I started um, my website. Um, I started creating websites for other people and creating articles. And it wasn't for me to become famous. It was for me to prove to myself I could do it. Right. And so much of the time we're trying to prove it to others. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you still t talk to people who at my age are worried about what their girlfriend in high school would think, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's in our head and I'm not trying to be a psychologist here, but uh, I, I speak to a lot of people over and have over the years where they say, well, you know, you were a born speaker. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, not only did I not have the skills, I, the last thing I ever wanted to do is speak. So uh, speaking's a learned thing. Writing well is a learned thing. Uh, even if it's just watching other people do it and learning from that, it's developing those skills takes a while. And a lot of people say, well, I'll try to speak. And if I can't do it the first time out, I'll never do it again. Well, then I'll guarantee you, you'll never do it again. Exactly. And I've made every mistake on stage you can possibly make from saying the wrong things to having my zipper down to you name it, I've done it. And what I like to tell my clients is when you screw up, you are going to be mortified. Five years later, they'll be your best stories. Those will be the stories you're telling your friends. You'll be, you'll be laughing so hard about it. You'll be crying. And, and all those stories my favorite story is screwing up big time in Dallas. And I mean, big time. And it's my favorite story. It's a little off color. So I won't say it here. That's how oh, bad I okay. screwed up. That's how bad I screwed up. But <laughs> uh, in front of 750 people, it's what? just something that came out of my mouth by accident. And it's, uh, you know, it's my favorite story. And I tell it to friends and my clients and the like. And uh, yeah, so it, it's... If no one gets hurt, it's called growth. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because um, back in the 90s, um, my husband, he had been working for Microsoft when they were a small company. Um, they wanted him to either move to Washington or North Carolina. He didn't want to move. And they were still a small company. And he said, no, I think I'll just go out on my own. Um, to this day, I want to kill him for that, but whatever. <laughs> um, so he started doing programming. And what I did on my end was I became a trainer teaching people how to use the programs that he was putting together. And one of the things I did was at the Cleveland Clinic, a group of doctors there had to, I think there were like 50 or 60 in the room, all at a computer. And I was walking them through a PowerPoint presentation and how to put certain things together. 
And that was when you used mostly clip art to put things together. And I was showing them how the clip art was layered. And what did I do? I took the hands off of my doctor in my presentation to show them. And I had one doctor in the front row just put his head down on the table like he was so embarrassed. And I looked at him and I continued. And then somebody in the back raised their hand and said, Karen, do you know that this is handicap week? Oh. And I just looked out. I thought I was going to start to cry. <laughs> and it was like, oh, well, I apologize, everybody. I'm going to put the gentleman's hands back on because you can do that, can't you? There are prosthetics in this world. Yeah, and there that you go. saved me. But I had no idea. You know, I was just trying yeah. to show them something in the program. Um, and so do we learn from that? Absolutely. After that training, it was like, I'm going to make sure whatever I'm training on, if it's, you know, a certain day of the week, if it's ice cream day of the week, you know, I'm going to stay away from that. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass myself. And I know I have since, you know, but again, the only way to avoid it is to stay locked up at home. You're right. Absolutely. So speaking about being locked up at home, we're just getting out of this pandemic, or at least I hope we are. How did you survive in the business when everybody was in lockdown? <laughs> when we went into lockdown, I thought I was going to have to go clean up after elephants at the zoo uh, <laughs> for a living because my, my business just fell right off the table. I, no income whatsoever. And my wife reminded me that no one was going to the zoo at that time. So you wouldn't have to, the elephants didn't have to be that cared for. So I wouldn't get that job either. So I'm like, what am I going to do? The funny thing is I'd been using Zoom and even more so Skype with clients. I have clients all over the world, right? from, from the US to China and everywhere in between. And so that was normal for me. And once everybody, uh, realized that this was going to be life as normal for the time being. And we started to get back to work. My work, my business came right back. So working off zoom was very normal for me, but I had some clients that again, once they realized, well, we can't just push this off for a couple of weeks or a month or two that we have to find a way to work. We worked in person, the local ones that I would normally meet in person, which was anywhere from Rhode Island to Maine down to New York city. Uh, we met in person. I would drive there. We would stay uh, a good distance away from each other. And we never blinked after that. So life was fairly normal for me as much as it could be. You couldn't go out and do things. So that part wasn't, sure. but as far as business was concerned, after that month and a half, maybe two months of, oh my God, <laughs> I don't have a business anymore. Uh, things returned to as normal as they could be. Well, and again, we all get used to what we think is normal and things do happen, um, whether it be the pandemic or um, a move or somebody, you know, instilling us with some new information that says, hey, I want to start a publishing business, you know, um, whatever it is, there are changes in life. And uh, 
that's always been somewhat easy for me to make changes. Um, my husband is one who does not like change, except for the fact that he's in IT and that's changes 24 seven. Right. Um, so I always laugh about that when he says, you know, oh no, I just like things to stay constant. And it's like, well, you're in the wrong business if that's what you expect. Um, but I think what the pandemic at least did for me, and it sounds like to some degree did it for you is to make us realize that we can still do what we love to do. We may have to change the format a little bit. Um, there may be some people out there a little bit more resistant. Uh, I know back when it first hit, I was doing a lot of on-site podcasting and my clients and even myself, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I just said, you know what? Zoom is great. We can do it on Zoom and you don't have to drive and I don't have to drive. And, you know, you can just dress from the waist up and be right. a happy camper. And it really, you know, that's what grew my business because people came out of the woodwork and said, yeah, I'm home. I want to get involved. So, yeah, I do. You, do you think that it's change that we resist or change in routine? I, I, like you said, change comes all the time. We're not the same people we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever right. it might be, probably even three years ago. And that had nothing to do with the pandemic. We'd just be different people no matter what. Right. We'd learn, we'd change things that we do, change habits and the like, especially as you get older. But I think it's routine. I love routine. But I love change. So if I have to get out of my routine, like on a daily basis, that bothers me. It's like, why do I have to? I'm used to doing it this way. But I absolutely love change because that means you can't educate yourself or be educated without change. You can't help other people without change. Change comes along no matter what. And my background, my, my trained background is marketing, going back to school. And marketing has changed in the way that we deliver it. But the concept, the philosophy of marketing hasn't changed since the open air, air markets of Babylon. People have a need, you find a way to fill the need. And that's marketing. So when telephones came along, oh my God, that's going to change marketing forever. We're going to marketing is now different. No, marketing was the same. How you delivered it was different. When the mail order catalogs, Sears and the like came along, oh my God, that'll change marketing. No, marketing stayed the same. How we delivered it was different all the way to the internet, whatever comes next. So I think that's the way we are. We fear change, but I think we embrace change. And if you're like me, you, you fear or don't like <laughs> routine changed. Well, and, and now that you, you've pointed it out that way, that makes a lot of sense. And I really believe that's more who my husband is. You know, he needs to be in a routine, but he does accept change because of the industry that he's in. If he sure. didn't, he wouldn't be there. Um, and what I have noticed myself, especially because of the pandemic, um, my routine in getting the goods that I need has remained the same. I know what days of the week I need to either order my groceries or go to the grocery store. But the way that I'm doing it, you know, changes a little bit. 
Okay. Right. So for instance, I was telling my son who's moving, I said, I'm going to tell you the best thing that you can do. And I told him where he could get his paper supplies. And I said, you know, you can get them from Target. This is what you're basically going to need for the month. And you do it online and you drive up to Target and they put it in your car and you go home. And he goes, oh, okay, that sounds good. Because he's trying to figure out, you know, now that he's going to be 100% on his own, you know, how am I going to be working all day long, trying to make new friends, doing all these things. And now I've got to go to the grocery store. And I said, yeah, real easy to do. And as I'm walking him through it, I'm thinking, wow, I didn't do that three years ago. Three years ago, I just get in the car and I'd go down and get what I needed. Now I think about it. I place my order and uh, it's in a fraction of the time. So times have changed and that's okay. Um, I also realize as I'm getting older, I'm feeling younger. <laughs> That's and awesome. I see that in you. <laughs> I like to laugh. So, uh, and it's funny because most people take me as an extremely serious person and probably in business settings I am, but I love to laugh. Probably more silly than most people realize. Well, laughter is, as they say, is the best medicine. Um, my husband taught that to me when I was sort of kicked out of um, corporate America. I went into this deep depression. It was like, they don't want me anymore. Who am I? What am I going to do? And he started once a week making me go to the comedy club. And oh, I can't cool. tell you how many times I'd go kicking and screaming and then walk out of there giggling like, you know, a teenage girl. Good for him. And, that was awesome. Great idea. Yep. So uh, even if you can just make yourself laugh, you know, look outside and watch the squirrels running around and laugh at it. It's a, it's a great thing. So Peter, how did your clients find you? I mean, you know, I found you on Podmatch, um, but I'm sure that's not where most people are finding you. So if somebody, you know, wants your, to share in your wisdom um, or know more about what you do, how do they find you? It's quite easy. My website, they can find out uh, about my podcast. They can find out uh, just about anything they want from me. And that's at PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Nice and easy. PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Very easy. Can you give us a little idea of what your podcast is really like? My podcast is twofold. I have on Mondays when it's released, I have a guest, much like we're doing here. And on Fridays when it's released or Thursdays when it's released, it's a five minute, I call them quick bites. It's always under five minutes. And it's just me alone giving an idea, one particular idea and how, here's how you can implement it. I love it. Very, very good. Well, we're going to make sure that we have that all in the show notes. So there's no excuse for people listening who are saying, you know, I want to be more like Peter. Um, <laughs> and well, <laughs> You, you come across as, hey, you know, I've overcome and maybe wasn't easy, but you too can do it. You have to want to, um, and you can't want to do it for somebody else. I know that way too much. Um, I tried to be somebody for my first husband and 
that wasn't me. And yeah. uh, it's a terrible way know. to go through life trying to be That's, someone else. You know, when you live for yourself, others will come into your life as well. So that's a great thing. I want to thank you, Peter, for being with us and uh, for the insight on your phenomenal wife um, who, uh, you know, has been by your side. I think that is terrific. Um, my husband and I work side by side. So uh, to me, it's it's one of the, my greatest joys that he's my best friend um, as well as being my spouse for 38 years. So uh, I want to wish you again, the best of luck. And to all of our listeners, you're going to go to PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com and you can learn more. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Karen. Thank you. Bye-bye now.